This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hi guys, today we're talking about Shaun of the Dead, so I'm here with frequent intro collaborator, Aaliyah Kamalova. Hi. How's it going, Aaliyah? It's going well. So you have something pretty particular to tell us about Shaun of the Dead, right? Well, with zombies, I actually got a chance to look at a zombie brain and put my hands on the brain on my new podcast, Science Communicators. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So you were feeling it on the podcast or how did that come about? Yeah, I thought it would be cool to just have about an hour long episode where I was just feeling the zombie brain. And so, yeah, that's on my podcast, Science Communicators, which is actually out on all platforms. Okay. I mean, this isn't a place for you to promote your own stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, the thing about zombies, um, on my show, we actually... Again, t- again we answered, I'm sorry. We're we not talking about your show. This is my show. And I don't even know if a zombie brain exists. So Do how you would have- you get your hands on that? That doesn't make sense. I got it on eBay. You got a zombie brain on eBay? I got it on eBay, yeah. How much you pay? 25 bucks. It's actually not a bad deal. I mean, if you're interested, basically... After I ate the zombie brain, which wasn't labeled for consumption, um, I started experiencing severe stomach pain. Well, yeah, you bought something on eBay that was labeled zombie brain for $25 and then started eating it? Yeah, well, I touched it first with my dirty hands. Bad science. Did the movie get it right? Bad science. Or will we have to fight? Hi, everybody. Welcome to Bad Science. I'm your host, Ethan Edinburgh. This is the show where we dissect a film with a scientist and a comedian. And today is no different. We're talking about a horror comedy, Shaun of the Dead. I've been waiting to do this movie for a long time. It's absolutely fantastic. Usually I would tell you if you haven't seen the film, it's cool. Like just listen to the pod anyway, and you'll probably learn a bunch of stuff. But you should really watch this movie, either before or after. Just make sure you do it. And I would say that with all of Edgar Wright's movies, honestly. But anyways, this came out in 2004, and I have two fantastic guests here with me to talk about it. Cannot pick better guests for this film. First of all, we have an assistant professor in psychology and the Center for the Neural Basis of Cognition at Carnegie Mellon University. He's also the co-author of the book, Do Zombies Dream of Undead Sheep? It's Timothy Versteinen. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. We were just talking about how your last name sounds like a metal band. And are you in a metal band, perhaps? No, but I think I should start one. Okay, great. (laughs) I have tons of questions for you, by the way, about your book, obviously, but then we'll jump into the movie. Joining us, though, is a writer-director of the film The Velocipaster. That's right. I said that correctly. It's called The Velocipaster. I just watched it yesterday, so I am psyched to talk to him about it. It's Brendan Steer. Hello. Um, I, I love that this podcast setup is like, here's somebody with an incredibly impressive resume. And we also got like the Velocipaster guy. <laughs> and we're gonna like break down. That's what the makes it great. Yeah, we're colliding true. worlds, I'm, dude. I am completely in obviously scientific accuracy, something I care about a lot in my own art. Absolutely. And I I just am very (laughs) excited to uh, just see. uh, Oh, I will say, um, unironically, Edgar Wright is one of my favorite directors. This was one of the first films I ever like really fell in love with. So I I am awesome. Honored to be here for it. Well, that's usually my first question is like, when did you first see the movie and what does it mean to you? And I thought about you right away. I mean, A, because I was planning to watch The Velocipaster and I was freaking psyched up, but also because I just, I I feel like there are similarities, right? I would call both movies horror comedies, yes? Yeah, I I absolutely, I hope so, that there are similarities (laughs) because it's one of those, um, truly this, uh, Shaun of the Dead, I first saw when it came out in in like 2004, 2005, I rented it from my DVD store, 48 Hours, in Broadheadsville, Pennsylvania. Yeah. (laughs) And I watched it twice in that initial renting. It was just like this 
you know, I, I got in on the ground floor of this weird Edgar Wright thing. And I, I just adore his movies. I've actually, yeah. um, I, I've, I've met him once or twice and he is one of the only people that I still, it's like hard for me to not fanboy a little. Like you get used to that in, in LA, like meeting people that you've heard of or seen or whatever. Yeah. And he is one of the few people uh, that I'm still like, oh, Mr. Wright is really, really great film. I love Baby Driver. And, and every time, I've like never had a cool moment with him. And uh, you know what? This film is probably the reason why. Because it's like so, so formative. I'm happy you see similarities, honestly. Would you say that this is your favorite Edgar Wright movie? No. Um, it was for a long time. Um, but it was one of those films that I watched so many times so quickly when it first came out that I, I almost like wore it out for myself, mm -hmm. which is something I, I do not really do with movies. It's like pretty much this and the Holy Grail are two of the movies that I've done that for because, you know, um, part of what makes a joke funny is, of course, it being unexpected. And so if you've seen the movie 40 times, it's just a little less funny after yeah, a while. Yeah. That makes sense. And I love Scott Pilgrim. I think Scott Pilgrim is my favorite. That's what I was going to say. I think that's my favorite. That's un It's like a perfection of film. I completely agree. Like, honestly, if I like have one film that's as good as Scott Pilgrim in my career, I'll be very happy. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah. dope. I can retire. <laughs> so, Tim, what about you? Did you first see it when it came out? And where where does it rank for you? Oh, yeah, no, I know. I, I was probably in the same situation. I can remember renting the movie. I think I did Netflix at the time. So, you know, the DVD came in the mail. Mm -hmm. uh, but so exciting. No, it, uh, I'm coming at this from a different angle. I have a deep passionate love for zombie movies. Um, George Romero was an idol of mine. I've watched everything he's done mm -hmm. multiple times. And I think what I liked about coming into Shaun of the Dead was it has this dual role of, of kind of poking fun at the genre, but also showing its passionate affection for the genre. Like there are so many nested tropes in Shaun of the Dead that are both sarcastic kind of retorts to your standard, in particular, George Romero genre, but also like kind of a loving nod to it. So if you if you obsess over George Romero movies in particular, like I do, you see all those little nods that would just kind mm -hmm. of pass somebody by if they haven't seen, you know, Dawn of the Dead a thousand times, right? Right. So I, for me, I think I came at it as this is one of the first kind of real zombie comedy movies that really appreciated the, the genre itself. I mean, there were other kind of tongue-in-cheek zombie comedy movies, but this was one that really just kind of showed that it knew its source material and it knew the genre and it knew what people like to see. It just kind of pulled you in. Yeah. So, yeah. So I came at it from that direction and, and I, I fell in love with it. Where was this in relation to the book? Was this before writing the book? Yeah, this is well before writing the book. Um, okay. Uh, and, and in fact, I wrote the book and I also taught a class uh, on zombie neuroscience and we would watch Whoa. the we would watch zombie movies in Shaun of the Dead. It was, I think, the second or third zombie movie we would have to watch and discuss as a class. Wow. So angry my college did not offer zombie neuroscience. <laughs> that sounds sick. Um, so what made you want to write the book? It seems like just parallel tracks were happening, I guess, in your life, zombie fandom and neuroscientist. Yeah. So it was one of those things where it was completely out of the blue that we melded this. But um, my really good friend and co-author on the book, Brad Wojtek, we were in graduate school together. And, and one of the ways we could get a vent uh, off steam and just kind of decompress from our days would be watching zombie movies together. So we had this kind of shared love of the zombie genre and we were both neuroscience students at the time mm. and at one point brad gave a talk and um the organizer for the zombie conference saw him give a talk and said hey how would you like to do a, a talk about the zombie brain and brad thought it was kind of interesting we thought it would be kind of a, a fun you know little little thing that he could do uh and he said oh, you know i don't i could go but i'm actually going to be in japan at the time so let me call my friend tim and see if he would want to give the talk and so you know i said yes i would totally give the talk and so i i agreed to go to this this zombie conference and talk about basically what would have to change in the brain to make a zombie mm -hmm. and so as as i started putting together material the organizer of the conference called brad and said hey just so you know george romero and bruce campbell are going to be headlining the conference and brad said okay so i'm flying back from japan a week early <laughs> and we're doing this talk together 
<laughs> so uh, I was in I was already in Pittsburgh at the time. Brad was living in uh, San Francisco at the time. And so we we did this long distance kind of remote talk generation and then went out and gave our first zombie talk. And we decided to use it as a way to teach about the brain. You know, people are interested in zombies. People are somewhat interested in the brain, but they find the material kind of intimidating. Sure. So we thought this would be a fun way to kind of leverage people's interest in zombies and trick them into learning about the brain. Yeah. Uh, and so we did that talk and then it started being a series of talks that we did as like, you know, whenever Halloween would come around, we would give a, a, a bunch of talks at like bars and uh, universities and whatnot. And then we got asked if we wanted to write a book on it. And we did. Wow. So yeah, it was, it was just happenstance. And then uh, both of us were actually on the job market at the time. So we had the joy of interviewing for professional scientific jobs and then saying, by the way, we've signed this contract to write a book about zombie brains. Are you still interested in hiring us? And it turns out that yes, Carnegie Mellon University and the University of California, San Diego are supportive of zombie neuroscience. Wow. Cool freaking schools. Yeah. <laughs> That's really and very kind of you guys to just be upfront and let them know. It's like yeah. if you're gonna do oh, any yeah, sort yeah. of background check on me, I'll just let you know up front. There's a zombie book I wrote. Yeah, we have this thing called the tenure process. And you know, you don't want to throw that off once you start that. So it kind of right. pays to be upfront about it. Yeah, that makes sense. So listen, I have a list here of questions, and most of them are science questions. We're gonna get to a bunch of different neuroscience stuff. But I also have some very stupid questions because that's my nature. So I was just writing these as I saw it. The first one is that towards the beginning of the movie, he gets broken up with uh, Sean, our main character, and he immediately resorts to drinking, which I thought about because like, that's a pretty classic move. Like oh, that's mm -hmm. in a ton of movies. A lot of people do the same thing, I guess. And I don't know if I'm just weird. But for me, that's not a go-to. I have a drink or two. I get very tired. I want to fall asleep. I don't think it makes me feel any better when I'm feeling down. I think probably makes me feel worse. So I just wanted to push that out to you guys. as like when you're in times of stress, because God knows there's so much stressful shit going down right now. Is that a move? Do you guys resort to drinking? Is that Does that help? Uh, define help. <laughs> like I feel like there's there's sort of it's 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 a it's a tough question because like alcohol is a depressant. It actually it depresses you. Like it actually makes you feel worse. And I feel like I don't know. There's I I um I have actually been sober from alcohol for a little over a year now. Hey, congratulations! So, congratulations! Thank you so much. I made the decision for myself that I did not interact well with the substance, <laughs> and it was made after attempting to do what Sean did, and and just uh, honestly for weeks, just regretting it physically, like in my body. It's like it's it's really uh, a poison. I have found, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well put. And so I would. Uh, uh, I would say I get it when people do this. I do not personally anymore. Gotcha. I find uh, other other ways that are, I don't know, marginally healthier mm -hmm. to kind of um, cookies disconnect enough. Cookies, a classic. Yeah, that's kind um, of a go-to for me. If I'm really stressing, then yeah, it's like I need pizza and a brownie. Honestly, cereal, cereal. <laughs> you wouldn't think it. But if it's like late at night and you get like some, you put some vanilla soy milk in that cereal, you get. <laughs> Brendan's coming running. I'm, I'll hear it. I'll hear like the frosted flakes hit the bowl and I'll just be like, oh my God, somebody's having a night. I need to like get and help out and also get a bowl of delicious frosted flakes. They're great from what I hear. <laughs> just, <laughs> that's, that's my suggestion. Tim, do you d drown your sorrows in booze? You know, actually, I don't. Uh, and I, I've actually drink, I think since the pandemic started, my drinking has gone way down. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually think that points a little bit to the reason Sean starts drinking in the movie is he, he's not that he's drinking alone, he's drinking with a friend, right? And I think it's more that that's true. drinking alone, if you're sad, is, is just going to make things worse. Mm -hmm. Going out in a social context with a friend who's going to try to kind of get you out of your misery. Yeah, I think that was that, you know, that was the critical thing. And uh, not to not to bring this into nerddom. But um, I have a really good friend, uh, Casey Cresswell, who actually studies this. Mm. Um, and it turns out that yeah, there's a fundamental difference between drinking alone and drinking with people. Totally. That makes a you lot know, of one sense. will make you feel down and get you kind of negative and the other will actually get you up and mm. and make you feel kind of at least if you have the right personality type will make you feel more bonded to somebody and help you kind of get through 
low emotional states. That makes total sense. I mean, they have a frigging ball in this movie, drunk together, like <laughs> DJing and listening to electro and singing in the streets like that. I've had nights like that, and that is really fun. So yeah. makes sense. And I will say there is something cathartic about it. Like, <laughs> like there, I, I completely agree with that, yeah. especially if you're surrounded by people and just in the middle of your city, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nowhere. Yeah, that's true. Um, okay, so why do these zombies move so slowly. I feel like that's like the main, right? That's got to be like top three zombie questions, right? Well, that's a trick question. Not all zombies move slowly anymore, right? You've got, you've got the fast and the slow zombie war, um, which I have seen many intense arguments about. Uh, but our take on it, at least in terms of trying to characterize why zombies move the way they do in the kind of classic George Romero kind of context uh, has to do with um, an area of the brain known as the cerebellum. Um, and it's kind of appropriate that we're talking about alcohol here because the effects that you get when you're drunk, you know, the imbalance, the slurred speech, the kind of difficulty seeing, all of that is actually uh, a symptom of alcohol primarily attacking the cerebellum. Mm. So when you get damage to the cerebellum, there's a disease known as ataxia that where the body starts to attack the cerebellum. Uh, these patients actually have very similar disorders as being drunk. They don't have the euphoria, but they they have these wide leg stances. They they have um, kind of lumbering, slow movements. A lot of them have to carry cards so that if they're stopped by police, they have a card that says, "I'm not drunk. This is a neurological condition." Wow. Um, Knowing what I know about police, they would not believe them. Oh, yes, yes. And uh, I worked with some of these patients when I was in Berkeley. And uh, yeah, I did notice that it would also depend on um, the the race of the individual, depending on, you know, whether or not the police would believe them. Yep. But that's a whole other story. Um, but yeah, no. So our argument was that you see these slow zombies is because, you know, the cerebellum, whatever's causing zombieism is attacking the cerebellum. But we have a funny story about this because Brad and I worked a long time on trying to explain the motor deficits of, of the slow zombies. And we actually got to interview George Romero at this conference, wow. which was, you know, a bucket list, you know, item just knocked off. And so we had this very elaborate theory about, you know, neural degeneration, things like that. Um, and so then we asked George, we said, so why did you have the zombies move the way you do? And he looked and he's like, they're dead. I thought they'd be stiff. And that was it. So like we developed this very elaborate neurally based theory. And he's just like, yeah, no, they're, 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 they're dead. So of course, they're just going to walk stiff. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. That is how you make art. Dude. <laughs> going with his gut. <laughs> yeah. And, and you just sort of shoot from the hip and you go, oh, no, they're dead. Like, <laughs> that rules. Yeah. Uh, what a hero he is. I mean, I, I was curious about how it affects the senses. I don't know if this is connected to the cerebellum or not because it seems like they can hear totally fine because they're like nervous about making noises it seems like in the movie because once they do the zombies can hear they're going to come attack them but then yeah when it comes to just like motor functions but yeah i, I don't know if that's all connected in the same place or different places oh no those uh, very different places so we've got um first off i just want to say that we only know a very little about the brain, so everything I'm saying is probably going to be disproven in about 50 years. But um, we do know that there are different areas for processing sensory inputs, so uh, touch, smell, taste, vision, things like that. Um, and there are areas that you know control the movement of the muscles and you know contraction of the muscles and movement of the body. We call those primary areas because of the kind of primary interface with the environment. And if you look at uh, the way your kind of classic slow-moving zombie moves and interacts with the environment, they're kind of slow and yet still able to move and they're able to process sensory information. So we think all those primary areas are still there. So they're, they're kind of, their basic primitive areas are still there. And would that inhibit the, uh, that doesn't inhibit at all higher functioning or anything. That doesn't uh, like no, inhibit... Well, yeah, no, that would if all those be areas separate. Were damaged. Yeah, if those areas are damaged, it wouldn't it wouldn't impair higher level what we call higher level function. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Sort of complex yeah. thought and problem solving and things like that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Attention, things like that. Mm -hmm. Where is that getting mixed up in these zombies, in these slow zombies? Because they don't seem to retain a whole ton of like 
I don't know, object permanence doesn't no. seem to be like a huge thing for them. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if you look, the, you know, all the stuff like memories, the ability to kind of focus your attention and deliberate strategies, with the exception of some of George Romero's later movies, zombies don't show that. And so uh, they're all related to different brain areas. So for example, the ability to just kind of encode your memories. So we have experience, we're on this podcast, and we're talking about Shaun of the Dead, I'm going to remember that later, that ability to kind of encode that memory is dependent on an area of the brain known as the hippocampus, and it, it kind of sits deep in the brain. And it kind of collects the patterns of activity throughout the brain that you experience and tries to replay them later and kind of helps you encode those memories. And so, you know, if you look at how zombies, you know, kind of act, they don't really have a long term memory, they're kind of once they get distracted and go off, you know, if you can hide for long enough, they just get distracted and go off and forget where you were. Right. That seems to be something that 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 indicates the hippocampus would be damaged. Hmm. Um, they can't deliberate. They can't plan that well, right? They're, you know, they just right. swarm. So we you, we think that, you know, things like the prefrontal cortex are probably not fully working. So, so far uh, we got damage to the prefrontal cortex, the hippocampus, and the cerebellum. Mm-hmm. Wow. As well as parietal cortex. So um, I don't know if you guys have seen Land of the Dead. I, it's I actually one of my favorite of that series. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole scene where the humans in post-apocalyptic Pittsburgh go out and they forage in the suburbs for supplies. And the way that they can do that without getting killed by zombies is they have fireworks. So they shoot fireworks up in the air and all the zombies kind of look up and just like stare at the fireworks. And then, you know, the humans can go around and get stuff because the zombies are distracted. Mm. Um, the ability to to kind of break away your attention from fireworks and then pay attention to something else is relegated in part by an area known as the parietal cortex, which sits kind of in the back top of your head here. Um, and when you get damage to it, one of the things that, that we see in people who, who suffer damage to this area is that inability to separate attention. So they once something grabs their attention, they can't let go. Mm. And so that area also seems to be, you know, broken. All of these symptoms that, that we've kind of put together for your your standard slow zombie, Shaun of the Dead did an excellent job of maintaining them. So all the zombies in Shaun of the Dead show all of these symptoms at one point in time during the movie, which is which is why it's it's perfect for us because, you know, it's the evidence that justifies our hypothesis. So we'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice that they kept it consistent, too. I mean, it makes right? the movie better. Why they say on the TV that if you want to kill it, you have to remove the head or destroy the brain is there a reason for that? I mean, they don't rely on their hearts anymore. What's going on there? Yeah, this is one of the things about trying to add any biological realism to the zombie, typical zombie genre is that, I mean, destroying the head and the brain would work for anything because that would stop the zombie from moving around. But yeah, there's no real good biological reason why, let's say, a stopped heart wouldn't stop them, right? Right. Um, okay. And there are movies like um, 28 Days Later that I really like that does yeah. a more biologically realistic you know take on that where they're not dead they're just their brain's been damaged and so now they're just rabid kind of enraged cannibals but they're not you know you could kill them by getting the heart and they die 28 days later because spoiler alert you starve to death if you can't plan on getting food yeah in 28 days most of them are going to starve right yeah there's like sort of in all of these zombie films there's there's sort of two camps in my brain and Tim, you probably are more the expert uh, of this, but I, I feel like there's the the sort of the zombie films that are like, oh, these people are actually just sick. Like, like it's it is like the 28 Days Later and things like that, where it's explicitly a virus that's spreading. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other ones um, where there's sort of that element of, oh, these are dead people reanimated. Like these are people from the morgue that are suddenly getting up and walking around. And it's like, those are two very different things. One is like a a disease and one is like some voodoo. And I feel like we sort of put them all under the umbrella of of zombie movies. I think that that's the problem that you run into with things, with what you're saying, trying to add like realism to it, because all of a sudden you stumble into that essential question of, are these people sick or are, is this some devil shit? And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. and like that, that is the, uh, I mean, Sean never really answers it, right? They, they even poke fun at like giving the different explanations of being like, uh, somebody said it was a satellite or something. <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Like from night. Which, which that was actually an homage to the original Light of the Living Dead, right? Because mm-hmm. it was, uh, I think a comet or 
or a satellite that re-entered. It was a satellite yeah. from Venus that re-entered the planet and caused radiation that caused the dead to rise from the de- from you yeah. know, the yeah. Earth. Right. I, I also just love that they kept basically getting cut off. That they kept trying to like almost explain what was happening, but then they would yeah. never explain what was happening. <laughs> don't worry. It's like don't worry about it. It's zombies. It's zombies, yeah. What do you gotta yeah. know? <laughs> like you're you're in it with them. They don't know what's going on. But that's what I love about the genre, right? You you just you have to fully embrace a kind of disconnect from reality. Mm-hmm. Yes. You have to give up all pretense that this could be real. Mm-hmm. And it actually it's what makes some of like the, one of my favorite zombie movies is a British one called um, Girl with All the Gifts. Mm. Um, and it actually plays off of an actual. So uh, zombieism is real in nature. Um, there are uh, particular types of funguses and um, uh, single cell organisms that can actually hijack the brain. Um, and it primarily happens in insects. And so the girl with all the gifts kind of imagines a scenario where this this could happen, but to humans. And so they take this idea of Chordopsis, which is a fungus that can hijack the brain of insects, and imagine what would happen if that happened to humans. And so it's it's a beautifully done movie, but it's also extremely terrifying because it you know this, you can't kind of hold yourself distant from reality. You mm-hmm. can't clearly just say, "Oh, that's that's something that's fun to watch from a distance." No, you no. you immediately get pulled in, like, "Oh no." That would be really screwy. And yeah, it could that happen, sounds super you know? scary. Yeah. Are you saying they someone is like about to die and they're taking over somebody else's brain or now they just control them? What's happening here? So in, in biology, uh, Chordopsis, what it is, is it's a fungus that um, releases its spores and these spores can infect insects, usually ants and hijack their brain. And so the ant kind of will leave the colony go up above the colony, kind of latch onto a leaf and then die. And then the stalk erupts from its brain and then sends more spores to try to infect more ants. And the the kind of premise of, of Girl with All the Gifts and also a video game called The Last of Us posits this idea, like what if a Chordopsis releases a, a spores that can actually infect humans, make us act all, you know, uh, zombie-like, and then at some point the human dies, and then the spores erupt out of their heads. Like it's a, it kind of falls along those those lines of of saying, you know, what if what if what happened to ants happens to humans? Wow, hot Christ, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, once I, once I learned about the biology of zombieism, I didn't sleep for a week. Um, <laughs> awesome. Yeah, you can tell which ones the 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 zombies are the no fun zombies. Like all all, all the media with those are the ones where it's like sun sit down like you're, you're gonna learn today about some like real real eerie shit that is like a thing in real life and like yeah uh, i love the last of us that game is both of those games are like yeah still haven't best. played the second one i'm i've oh, played the first oh, one dude. i'm still awaiting the second very excited all right we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back the break is over here we go back to the show about science. Okay, I wanted to also mention Big Al, I believe is the character's name, says that dogs can't look up. This comes up a few times in the movie. Uh, Sean is very adamant that dogs can look up. Uh, so I looked it up and dogs can look up, but they cannot look up the same degree that humans can look up. So mm. that is why I think there's some argument <laughs> in the movie. I think there would be less argument about it if we finally did what I think humans, since the domestication of dogs, I think humans and dogs together as two tandem species have been really working towards one goal, and that's to get dogs to walk like humans. Oh, like that'd just be sort great. of on their hind feet walking around. And like, so all dogs just sort of come up to your shoulder mm-hmm. and like they'll look at you with their weird dog head and they'll have very interesting things to say, like, ah! and you'll, you'll just have to deal with it. You'll have to deal with that reality. Yep. And I'm very excited for our um, ancestors to have to deal with that, but at least they will be able to <laughs> answer that question, I think. Yeah. Honestly, that could be a film that you could could make in the uh, future the near future have i thought about it yes i have <laughs> have i thought about the dog costumes that you would have to create yeah <laughs> i mean like don't don't put it past me <laughs> okay we look forward to it okay one of my favorite scenes they are trying to get to the winchester there's tons of zombies all over the place and sean comes up with a great idea which is to blend in so they act like zombies which makes it works for a while obviously they fuck it up but for a little while the zombies uh, assume that they are fellow zombies and i wanted to get your take on that would that work is that a good idea i mean 
as far as you any real idea would be a good idea in a zombie apocalypse, they all seem to be pretty bad to begin with. But um, for for that one, we actually we use that clip in our talks and we talk about it in the book as an example of uh, a condition known as prosopagnosia. Um, so prosopagnosia is, is face blindness. Um, so mm. damage to a particular area of the brain kind of sits on the underside of your the back of your head here. It seems to be responsible for how we can identify people from their faces. Like humans are specialized for recognition of others by their face. And we learn this very fast. You know, I have met people once and when I see them again, I recognize them. And that's a very difficult thing to actually do, but we specialize in it. And there are certain types of brain damage that could, that takes that away. So you still see a face, you still see the nose in the right place, the mouth, eyes, etc. But you just don't have the ability to link an identity to that face. Mm. Um, and the clinical neuropsychology literature, which is where we kind of pulled a lot of our ideas from, is really dark literature um, based mostly off of people having terrible things happen to them and then figuring out what happens afterwards. And prosopagnosia was discovered by uh, a German neurologist who studied people who fell down stairs. And, you know, in, in post-war Germany, there were lots of, you know, stone stairs, so you would hit your head hard. And he noticed that there were a group of people that just couldn't recognize faces at all. And in fact, one of them, he had a big beard. And whenever he looked in the mirror, he thought a dog was looking back at him. Like Whoa. he didn't recognize his own face in the mirror. Also sounds was... like Brenda's movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's my main character. I've studied up on all of this literature. <laughs> beard man, beard dog man. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, it's it, so, you know, the prospectnogics will identify people by other means so but how you walk how you dress mm. how you smell um so it, when we talk about that scene from sean the dead we kind of say well zombies probably have prosopagnosia they can't recognize sean and his friends just by looking at them so they kind of tell humans from non-humans by other cues so by looking at how they walk how they sound how they smell and so we we use this as a way of teaching about face perception and prospectnosia, but, you know, really what we're saying is, you know, zombies can really only tell zombies from non-zombies based off of non-visual features, based on like, you Ooh. know, how they smell and things like that. Okay, I like that it checks out, sounds like, scientifically, like kind of makes sense that you'd be able to do that. That's cool. I mean, if you stretch it, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> if, yeah. you, if you squint. It's yeah. Like, yeah, if you yeah. squint. <laughs> if you squint at the science, that's fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of squinting, what about the eyes? The eyes, when people get zombified, turn like pale white-ish. Is there any reason for that happening? Did that make any sense? I mean, if I was going to bring back uh, my conversation with George Romero, I figured you'd just say, well, they're not blinking. So, you know, dust accumulates and they get scratchy or something. Mm. Uh, but that that's always one of those things in zombie movies that if I try to put on my biological realism hat, I, I just I, I kind of give up because mm -hmm. they wouldn't be able to see anything. Like, you know, the zombies <laughs> that have the big glassy eyes that are almost all fogged over and yet somehow they can go right to somebody. No, that <laughs> that that just doesn't seem realistic. Or the zombies that can somehow see yet both eyes are like hanging out outside their face you know just like right yeah dangling down and yet somehow the zombie can see fine to walk over to somebody <laughs> yeah that totally makes sense so a lot of the plot hangs on where they're going to go where they're going to be the safest and so this isn't really a neuroscience question but where would you go is this just a question for the classroom or absolutely <laughs> okay. absolutely please all right um it has to be an island right like, for me, it would have to be a cold island. It depends on if they're dead or if they're viral. Because, like, to me, I'm like, if they're dead, let, let's let's operate by, like, they're dead and this is some devil stuff. Cool. Um, Going to a cold, like, an Alaskan island off, like, the, the, like, like the hook of the nose. You know, it'll be isolated enough that the, you won't be, like, swarmed by people from anywhere. And also, I figure it'll be cold enough that if they really are dead tissue, they'll start freezing. And I'll be like, okay, I can move a little faster. Their hearts will beat slower. That's my vote. That's when, I, when I've when i puzzled it out. Okay, wait, let me, let me then uh, give you two questions then. That's a great answer, first of all, unbelievable. But secondly, what if it's, you know, emergency apocalypse situation where it's like, you need to go somewhere uh, in town right now. Where are you going? 
in LA. <laughs> Hon- honestly, yeah, sure. honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm. What I would do is I would speed into the desert. I, I would straight up be like, oh, get, yeah. get away from a population center. I, I mean, like, here's the thing. It's we're recording this in, in you know, September 2020. So none of us have any idea what an actual viral pandemic would be like. No, that'd be so, crazy. <laughs> uh, let me that'd tell you. My parents live in rural Pennsylvania. They're fine. And, and they've and so I, I think I would immediately head for like Joshua Tree and be right, like right. get you know, away from people. Yeah, yeah. Go into the hills, become one of the hill people. You can Mad Max style create just like push up some aluminum against your car, some you just get some of that on the way out. And uh mm-hmm. that's that's honestly that's stop one. Okay. And very then smart. north. Right, of course. Yeah. Tim? Yeah, I, I, that's that's a hundred percent what I would do. Is I would go nowhere but out of Dodge fast. Like you know, yeah. uh, if I'm in a city, you're pretty much doomed. I have studied the zombie movie genre enough to know that every time humans get stuck in a building in a city, they die. That's that seems to be the number one premise. Whereas at least when people are out in the countryside, you know, they're you they're, got a chance. they're less of a chance. Yeah. yeah. I, I would point out that the scenario Brendan brought up about like the cold weather in the north is actually uh, a key part of uh, the book World War Z, which is a fantastic book. Mm-hmm. The movie sucks, but the <laughs> the book is absolutely fantastic. And there's a whole there's a whole part about people up in like the Yukon Territory who like six months out of the year are fine because all the zombies are frozen in ice, and so they're just walking around these zombies who are kind of stuck and frozen in the ice while they're kind of doing their thing. And it's really the spring and summer. That's the tough months for them, um, and so yeah, no, like get to Siberia, man. Uh, nobody lives there, and and it gets cold. That makes sense. Honestly, if I may make a suggestion, I, I did a lot of my growing up in Pennsylvania, but I'm originally from Montana. And let me tell you, if you drive into Montana from the south, you go up through the mountains. It's like 30 minutes of just elevating. And so every time of year, it's snowy and it, no one lives there. Like eight people live in Montana. So like you'll be OK. That's where I would head. Yeah, And you can be in the mountains. It's so beautiful. You can look out every day and just feel good about yourself and just feel, I don't know, a little safer in these zombie times. Great. And they are also heavily armed up there. Yes. So, you know. <laughs> oh, that helps. <laughs> it's also very, very deeply. Uh, yep. Uh, there's and a it's lot gorgeous, of isn't it? <laughs> you just have the best views. And Buffalo. Oh, no. Zombie Buffalo, though. um so why is the disease do you think and maybe this is just another movie thing because i know it's different for different films but in this movie it's only spread via biting like you have to be bit to get uh the the disease so is there a reason for that i think it might tie to well, that's kind of a classic zombie trope and i think it ties to the original idea of it being like rabies you know, the the mm. early movies when they were just making everything up as they go, you know, it was you get bit, you get infected and you become this rabid lunatic. Right. And so I think it plays mostly off of if not purposely, then accidentally plays off of kind of our cultural knowledge of, of rabies and, you know, the fear of being bit by something that's infected. Yeah. Um, I mean, being bit the, has got to suck. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. Being bit by yeah. anything. Yeah. I've been bit by many creatures and yes, it sucks. Okay. Explain yeah. that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what the hell are you talking I, about? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I used to work re- rehabilitating dogs into Mexico and, oh. and you know, it goes, it, it kind of goes along with the territory. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to say neuroscientist zomb- zombie, uh, <laughs> zombie expert and exotic animal handler. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he said dogs, but he also said many creatures. So if yeah, somebody yeah, brings exactly. in a raccoon, are you just like, eh, close enough bring them in <laughs> yeah you know i for some reason animals don't like me i don't know why oh interesting <laughs> um okay what about david's body being torn apart there's a scene where he's like Aww. near a window and zombies start just destroying this dude and his yeah. limbs come apart and i don't know i just thought did that like make any sort of sense with what we knew about the disease or was that just like a hilarious move uh, i think that that was an explicit reference to a scene from the original dawn of the dead um mm-hmm. there's a scene in the original dawn of the dead where they're all trapped in the mall and it's it's, it's viscerally disgusting but they basically like pull one of the main characters out you know of the doors glass doors and start just basically pulling out his intestines and they used uh, actual pig intestines Whoa. for this and they all start like pulling it out and eating his intestines oh. and it's, when you first see the movie that's like the most nauseous visceral part of the movie or one of them so i <laughs> so i took that as being 
a direct homage to that scene from Dawn of the Dead. Okay. It's very it's very interesting because I took it as an homage to Day of the Dead. I the, there's the scene where um, um yes. the the commander character is is torn apart very similarly, and it's mm-hmm. one of my favorite movie villain deaths. Because as he dies, he just screams with his last breaths. He screams, choke on it. And I, I think it's <laughs> just like, the it, it's so good. Because he's such a hateable character. And for that moment, you're like, I get that, dude. Like, that's yeah. pretty, pretty good. What else is he going to do in that moment? Yes, <laughs> choke on it is a great line to say while dying. While dying by zombie disembowelment. Like, yeah, hell perfect. yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. May I ask, what what is the what is the second album you guys ever bought? Oh. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I was trying to mull on it. I can tell you because I bought two CDs at the same time Whoa. because I was going on a trip and I was like super psyched up to get... I had a portable CD player, which of course skips of course. if you move it. Um, I'm so uh embarrassed for people that don't know what i'm talking about they'll never understand the joy of that but anyways i bought at the same time as embarrassing as this is will smith's big willie style which was an incredible album and the the other one was savage gardens album which i don't even know the name of but you know it had like two the the two hit songs that savage garden had (laughs) so those are my first two yeah I, I remembered the first CD I ever got, ever. And it was like when I would just had gotten a CD player was now That's What I Call Music 5. Nice. And honestly, know that album back to front. Uh, it's an incredible album. Starts with uh, <laughs> Give Me Just One Night Una Noche by 98 Degrees. <laughs> the hell yeah. And, and all the way to It's My Life by John Bon Jovi. Just hit Oof. after hit after hit. And very similarly to you, Ethan, I, I didn't buy them simultaneously, but like mm. the next day before for a trip i bought some album by this band called gorillas and it was demon days sick and i i that is to date one of my favorite albums and it's like what so it was like a strikeout or honestly a win for everybody and uh (laughs) just a great piece of piece of art and i don't know i realized i was proud so (laughs) I, i just brought this up to bring up Tell you guys how cool I am for buying Demon Days back in 2004. Pretty damn cool. It's a great album. It is. Yeah, unbelievable. And it has the Dawn of the Dead music in it. Holy crap. It opens with the the score from Dawn of the Dead, the Goblin score. So, yeah, worth it. Tim? Uh, I'm going to really show my age here. Uh, The second album I can remember buying was the Top Gun soundtrack on vinyl. Whoa! No, that that's so take, funny. Take yourself to the danger zone, dude. That's, oh yeah, that, oh yeah. I get it. I get it. God, dude, that's hilarious, man. I I was talking about Top Gun the other day, and the real headline of that discussion was like, "This movie's bad, right?" <laughs> it was like, "Why this? What is this film?" I remember two of my friends, two of like my best friends in high school, were so excited to show me Top Gun, and because I had never seen it, and they sure. were like, "Of course, they grew up watching it." And so I remember them putting it on, and the whole time I was just like, "Really? Like, I mean, it's like, funny. This is your thing? <laughs> it's definitely funny." Yes, uh, and honestly, the volleyball scene. I could write an entire book about the volleyball scene and you should parent homoeroticism in Top Gun. It rules. It was such an intimate love story there. That was like, it's like the first 10 minutes of up. Like that's a beautiful love story in those three minutes of the volleyball (laughs) scene, right? And everybody just looks so happy. And I'm just sort of like, this is, this is a beautiful moment to spend in time with friends on the beach. Yeah. And Tim thought I need this music at home. (laughs) (laughs) Every night. I, I can relive the I just never even me. thought about somebody getting the soundtrack. That just is hilarious mm. to me in and of itself. I, and, yeah. In all fairness to me, I think it was eight or nine years old. Oh, and, uh, I, you know, I was a huge fan of the movie because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I grew up, uh, a lot of my friends were, who, their parents were in the military mm-hmm. and I grew up in a very military culture. And it seemed to be in the late 80s to early 90s, like, if you joined the military, that was your movie. And that, you know, sure. I can remember going to my my friend's dad's house and that was that and the news were the only two things that were on the television. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I, I passionately love that movie. Mm-hmm. And then I watched it again later as an adult <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is all a recruitment video. Like, that's, <laughs> Yes. This, is, this is advertisement yeah. for the Air Force. That's great. Yeah, <laughs> that I totally get. That makes so much sense. It's like yeah. just badass, 
like classic rock music and planes flying around yeah. shooting at each other and then just like ripped cool looking dudes and, well, hanging and it's out. Like, you get a cool nickname. You get yeah, to like everyone gets a nickname. Like a locker room. <laughs> and, and then you just play on the beach. It's all good. It's all good, guys. We're dude, the military dude awesome. is crazy chill and fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Duh. That is the takeaway from this podcast. And quite frankly, from Shaun of the Dead. Yep. <laughs> Somehow we took that away from it. Um, okay, I've we're, we're running low on time, but I have so many questions for you. It's unbelievable. We're going to have to do like a reunion and just do Dawn of the Dead or Land of the Dead or one of these other yeah. films. Or Top Gun. Top. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! No, <laughs> Top Gun with a neuroscience zombie expert. What? Do, I don't know how that'll go, but what do airplanes do to your brain? I, I bet they uh, actually <laughs> do really crazy shit to your brain. Oh yeah! Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah. yeah! Yeah! That acceleration probably does a lot of um um. I don't want to say damage, but it, it definitely pushes your brain to the back for a little bit, right? It's it's. Yeah. I I don't know if they have any studies, but uh, I'm pretty sure there's got to be some. You know, if not long term, at least immediate consequences to hitting those G forces so fast. It's just like getting kicked in the head. Honestly, I'm walking out of this with another another movie pitch for Walking Dogs, and you you already have another book ready. Like, yeah, yeah. Top Gun, and what is Top Gun? First of all, what does Top Gun do to your brain? Second of all, what do airplanes in general do to your brain? And yeah. uh, there's, I, I'm telling you, man, Tim, there's something there. <laughs> um, okay, my my final question. We'll end on this. Why do they? particularly want to attack slash eat humans do they not crave other foods are they not trying to eat animals do they eat animals and we just don't see it i don't know i sometimes in zombie movies they do eat other animals um i, I think i saw a few scenes of this in like the walking dead and you know they do show that and and in that case it's just they're all ravenous creatures um there's no real good explanation for why they particularly attack other humans unless you want to take kind of like the Chordopsis model, which is they want to, you know, let's imagine it's a it's something like a virus and humans are the perfect host. And it mm. just so happens that the virus has managed to find a way to hijack the brain in a way to make it so that it'll be transmitted more. Um, and creepily enough, there's actually evidence of something like this in nature. Um, there's a single-celled organism called the Toxoplasma gondii. Um, it's found in cat poop. Whoa. It's actually, Toxoplasma infection is why uh, they advise pregnant women not to kind of change the litter box um, oh, because it can be, it, it's very dangerous to a fetus and it gets you sick with the flu. But what's really happening is that this organism can only reproduce sexually in the gut of a cat. Um, but it can reproduce asexually. It can clone itself outside of the cat. And uh, what it does in rodents is that if, if, it, if it gets into a rodent, it actually hijacks its brain so that the rodent loses its in, innate fear of cats. Um, so you, let's, let's say you get a rabbit infected with Toxoplasma gondii. Its normal instinct is to run away from a cat. They're biologically programmed to do that. But uh, a bat rabbit that's been infected with Toxoplasma gondii actually starts to prefer to spend time with a cat. It like has this very selective oh preference for, for getting near its, you know, kind of near a cat. Um, <laughs> and there's some evidence that humans that have been infected with Toxoplasma gondii do like they do increased risk seeking behavior. They take more risks in general um, and they have this kind of disordered, not they're not zombies. I don't want to kind of say that, but they, they have these kind of um, changes in their personality sometimes that that makes them more impulsive and puts them at more risk of actually dying, like walking out in front of cars and things like Ooh. that. And so there's some limited evidence to say that you see this kind of change in behavior in humans as well. Um, and, you know, in rodents, it seems to be selective for felines. So huh. somehow they know I want to get eaten by this 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 creature and it's the organism saying i want to get in that guy's gut so i can reproduce sexually wow mm -hmm. and this is everywhere every person who has a cat should be very afraid i right have now. two cats <laughs> i do too my cat is asleep behind me right now I'm and losing i was my immediately mind. like i i like i like changed his litter the other day and like what, what the other doing, day dude? you got to do that more often brendan <laughs> no don't worry about it he's he's an outdoor cat oh all right all right jesus <laughs> Um, so yeah, like, should I train my cat to poop in the toilet? Uh, I mean, if you could, that would be awesome. I think just as a, you know, a as a cat owner, that would save you a lot of time. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great trick. Uh, it's actually so that the, in humans, it's not that noticeable. In fact, that the, the kind of evidence that I know of in humans, these are people who, uh, have like dozens and dozens of cats that had repeated toxoplasma infections, oh. which is like the flu. It's like, imagine kind of getting it over and over and over and over and over oh, again. Got it. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 
my understanding is in the, the human effects are actually not that bad unless you've got like two dozen cats in your house. And even then it happens rarely. But in rodents, it's almost right away. Oh, my huh. God. OK, I'm still afraid and I'm going to look this up on my own time to hopefully settle my anxiety about it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. I don't know. Um, but thank you both seriously for taking the time to be on the podcast. This was a ball. I really hope that we do another ridiculous zombie movie if anything this just like sparked the catalyst in my mind um but anyways where can people find you guys i mean brendan people have got to see velocipaster is there which by the way let's just come right out and say it it's about a pastor that turns into a velociraptor people so yeah if you're not interested i don't know what's wrong with you it's a great hook <laughs> where where do you recommend people go to watch it um so it should still be on amazon prime um okay. it's also on a service called tubi i've heard that it's on on um, Hoopla, I've heard some people tell me. Ooh. It honestly kind of uh, depends. Uh, I will say this. Please do watch it legally. There are a <laughs> bunch of torrents up. And I found this morning bootleg merch. What? And I feel very kind of cool. But I'm also like, that's illegal as hell. Yeah. And I could sue those people. Buy the official merch. <laughs> yeah, uh, I will. But um, yeah, watch it. Uh, and of course, buying the DVD or Blu-ray. Um, and if people want to find out more about it, um, they can follow the Twitter or Instagram or whatever at the Velocipaster. Awesome. Um, as one word. And I am just at Brendan Steer. I have been less active on Twitter um, and kind of enjoying it. Yeah. So we will see. But I, I do pop in um, almost daily still. I mean, less time just means that I'm not on it constantly. Gotcha. So if people want to talk to me or chat about the movies or or my dog, uh, my dog idea. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, at Brendan Steer. I'm, I'm that on everything. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brendan. And um, I'm with you, by the way. I got off all social media and it feels great. I don't know if that's just a pandemic thing that's been trending or something, but no, I think it's it, just it, great it, in general. It rules, dude. It rules. This shit fucking rules, my dude. <laughs> yeah. it, it's like being on vacation all the and time, living for yourself, and realizing that you were not doing that, and then being like, "I don't have to tell anybody about this." <laughs> it, it makes you feel like cool. I can just take this dope it. picture of my cat and enjoy it for me. Just, just look at it myself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, Tim, where can people find you? Obviously, they need to get the book. Do zombies dream of? undead sheep yeah that's correct uh, if you if you want to know everything we know so far about zombie neuroscience uh do zombie stream of undead sheep with uh myself and brad foytek professionally uh my professional website is cognitiveaxon.com and you can kind of find the more scientific stuff that we do in the lab um also on twitter at at td versteinen and lots of weird stuff that I try to kind of push out there about science, a little bit of politics. Um, but I too am also trying to kind of turn off of social media. Although this discussion has now given me an idea for a zombie movie where the zombie infection is spread through social media. Oh, um, I, I think we might live oh, that. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> guys, guys, it's gone viral. Oh, no. <laughs> it's too good. Am I right? It's Am too I good right? not to do it. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. Endure. So that'll be my new project, is figuring yeah. out how to make everybody a zombie through social media. Um, I, so I feel like it, sh it shouldn't be that tough. I feel like we're pretty close no. already. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, okay, well, is there a place that you would prefer that people buy the book? I know there's, you know, like personally, I'm kind of anti buying books on Amazon. And that's usually where people would go. Yeah, if you want to buy the book directly, it's through Princeton University Press. Nice. Um, so I would recommend going to their website. Awesome. Okay, cool. So you heard it here first, guys. Unless, of course, you heard it somewhere else prior to this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you both, seriously. And uh, we'll talk, uh, hopefully, about another film soon. Yeah, this was a blast. Thanks. Thanks, okay. guys. Bye-bye. Bad Science is a Seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger, and our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive pub producer is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>